Welcome to the Vertical Go-To-Market Podcast, where you'll discover new opportunities to grow your business from seven figures to eight from the world's most successful agency and B2B SaaS executives. I'm your host, Corey Quinn. Let's jump into the show. Today, I'm joined by Seth Price. He's the founder of the law firm marketing agency, Blue Shark Digital. He's also the managing partner with Price Benowitz LLP, a personal injury law firm. Welcome, Seth. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Corey. I am super excited for our conversation. Just for a little bit of context for our listeners, again, mostly agency owners, aspiring agency owners, could you, what could you share about your marketing agency, Blue Shark Digital? Sure. Well, look, uh, you know, I was somebody who had started as a lawyer, you know, for better or for worse, and grew my law firm with digital marketing. I loved it. I love digital marketing as many of your listeners probably do. So I wasn't somebody who had to niche down. I was in a niche and ended up taking my in-house team from my law firm that helped build my firm from a modest two guys in a basement to what's now a substantial eight-figure firm with 40-plus lawyers. Along that journey, I took my in-house digital team and turned that into what is now Blue Shark Digital, which now represents several hundred law firms and now plastic surgeons around the country. And that's fantastic. I think you're unique in the market in that you are an attorney, as you mentioned, you were an attorney, started off as an attorney, you found success in marketing a two-person firm, and then eventually ended up as, a, as an, an agency itself. What impact have you found that your, your background as an attorney has, has, has had in your ability to grow your agency? I think it's, it's a twofold. It's, a, it's a, a blessing and a curse at the same time. When I started, it was great, and it still is, in that there are a certain percentage of the market that are like, wow, you get me, you understand the ethics laws, you get what it takes to move the needle. And that's how I started, right? I'm a, I did it for myself, let me help me do it for you. There's a percentage of the market, which is good for your listeners who may not be a lawyer, which is they don't want a lawyer. They want somebody who is a digital marketer. And what's the, what's this schmuck? He's a lawyer like me. What does he know about digital marketing? And so over time, you know, we're now at the point with a firm with a business development team and, you know, account rep, you know, it used to be, I knew every client personally, my first, you know, weeks, years practice worth the now at the point where we service a lot of people that I, that I don't know particularly well at all. If, you know, some, many of whom I've never met, which was not how we started. And so I think that you dance with what you got, you know, and, you know, I, I know your background a little bit, like if you, if you are, you know, the largest seller of Google AdWords and that's your, you, you know, that you have superpowers in how you place their money. God bless you dance with that. For me, I was like, Hey, all the other guys aren't lawyers. I'm a lawyer. So I went with that. And then as you grew, I found that it was really useful to be, Hey, you get the best of both, right? You, you want to be where you have a firm that started by a lawyer, which is great, but nobody really cares about that. What can you do for them? And that's yeah. where the team and the talent, and I think this is what's true for any of your listeners, is mm. building that great team around you that can execute at scale. Because I would argue, in fact, one a guy, I mentioned one person pre-interview, but a guy named Height right now is trying an experiment where he wants to go out and start an agency from scratch in a city by himself to see what would happen. I know JC. Yeah, I'm familiar with JC. Yeah. So what, what, I, what I love about that story is great, but like what, what it is, those first few clients, you could do through sweat equity, you can 
will your way to some clients and some success, God bless. But to really scale an agency, it takes a lot of things, right? At some point, it's more than you can service. So you need account reps. There's going to be yeah. work that needs to be done, and you're going to have to decide, can I find, like, I never white labeled, but people who do white label, can I get the quality that I need? Can I, can I move the needle? Or is it that's my baseline, and I'm going to do additional work beyond that? And as you build and grow, you're adding those different pieces. And I think the skill set goes from, are you a great SEO to are you a great operator? And this is true for whether it's a law firm or digital agency or whatever, sure. that is the, it's the, the amalgamation of those people. You know, when you were at Scorpion, you know, you had a thousand employees or some nonsense, you know, the great news. Eventually, is, yeah. Yeah. Eventually, no, I started. Yeah. But, yeah, but yeah, when I started, when I started, was, I was a hundred, but yeah, you grew to a thousand. A thousand, uh, which yeah. is great, but that means you have a thousandth worse an employee. You know, if you yeah. line up your employees, so like yeah. that's a daunting thought to wake up to every morning that you have like yeah. that nine, that nine, nine, seven, nine, nine, eight, nine, 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 and a thousand. They mean that. And so the question is, how can you create systems and a team that operates in a way that allows you to deliver high quality results, despite the fact it's not just you doing the work. And I think that's where a lot of people, my guess is who are starting out. The nice thing about a niche is that it's focused and you can bring expertise to that and talk that way. And I think that that is, you know, to me, I think that is the greatest advantage. And I've seen with a lot of different affinity groups in this area, the idea that if you find something and dance with where less people are dancing, you have a pretty good chance of, of, of getting some nice results. Absolutely. And speaking to sort of the ability to scale and to get to a thousand employees, which you know, you mentioned a blessing or a curse that, that may not be what an agency owner wants to create for themselves. And, and frankly, at a thousand employees, yeah. quality control is tough. You yeah. know, it's, 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 it's like, like to me, as is as is HR, <laughs> everything, right? And so, exactly. you know, I pinch myself where we are, and I'm, I feel yeah. blessed. You know, it's not that we haven't had uh, you know a quality control issue here or there, and there's been a client sure. or two lost because of it. It's yeah. that's going to happen. But um, on the law side, I sort of say I live in these two different worlds. You know, some of my mentors on the law firm side that have built some amazing organizations. One in New York, if you're a New Yorker, you'd know is Jacoby and Myers. It's a big juggernaut yeah. on TV and they, my buddy, buddy Andrew Finkelstein's done an amazing job, but he's like, look, if you don't get comfortable with mediocrity, meaning it's not going to be done as well as you, you could have a very great small agency that represents 10 people and you do it with maybe an assistant or two, but if you really want to get to the point, you have to know that it's not going to, every inch is not going to be done the way you want it done. Yeah. And it doesn't yeah. stop me from pounding it and pushing it and hoping that I can push people in early days, pushing people till they broke and left. You know, I'm not yeah. proud of it, but that the idea is you want to hold your, your standards, but know that, yes, there's some people that are coming that know more than you, and that's awesome. But there are also going to be a lot of people that come along the way that are not ideal and that you're going to have to figure out how to get them ideal or... Or, or sort of supplement pieces so that you are making sure that you take care of those all important clients. Yeah, and I, and I think what, what's interesting about taking a niche approach is that you remove some of the variability in your agency. For example, if you were serving restaurants, dentists, attorneys, you know, CPAs and pool cleaners, all these different types of businesses, you have all this variability in your business to be able to provide outstanding results becomes much more difficult. Well, and I think some of it is form over substance. 
Some of the digital marketing is the same no matter what, right? The fundamentals of getting the phone to ring. What I would say is, and I was shocked because we opened a second vertical about two, three years ago, three years ago now. And it was interesting that there were huge differences, you know, whereas, whereas a lawyer, you would more likely lose a client if the phone wasn't ringing enough. That was, yeah. I mean, that, that, that quickly enough. You know, as you know, it's compared to PPC with SEO, that's one of the big risk factors that you have to get sure. yourself to critical mass for it to work. If it was easy and you just pay one month of SEO and you're off to the races, everybody yeah. would do it. But it's not like yeah. that. You have to mm -hmm. figure out how to get the algorithm to like you enough, better than everybody else, into the organic, into the three-pack, versus when we saw, let's say, in the aesthetics area, the plastic surgery, elective medicine area, you know, there, not that they don't want to make money, but they are so focused on the look and feel of a site. Whereas the lawyer, yeah, it needs to be right. They don't want to see typos. But, yeah. you know, whereas if a photo is not cropped right on a plastic surgeon site, that is like, you know, and we were sort of, you know, you, you put resources in different buckets based on what motivates a client. So for a law firm, we know that if we don't get the phones ringing, we're out. And not that like a plastic should stay with you forever if they're not doing it, but that they have so much riding on the aesthetic because that's their, and it's also what they care about. It's what brought them to their, is taking people and making them more enhanced. You know, with lawyers like, yeah, they, they want to have their little badges showing the top of this and top of that. They want their video yeah. and their photos, but they are looking, it just, and it was fascinating. So I'm guessing that as you go, and I've seen in the home services space, as I've talked to people in that space, you know, you, you have a benchmark, whether it be Andrew's List or Home Advisor, people are used to getting the X number of phone calls. And if you're not, if you're not apples to apples with what they're doing, they're like, I just buy more leads. And so yeah. you, you sort of have to figure out what is, what is it that's driving, I'm guessing there, there's no aesthetic issue. Nobody's yeah. reading copy. I get lawyers rewriting copy in my law partners yeah. like that. He would yeah. rewrite something he wrote a year ago. And we, we were just doing a relaunch of a site. Like, ah, this is terrible. I want to rewrite it. Like, okay, you rewrite it. I'm launching it. I have <laughs> probably 25 websites for my law firm, different niches, different geographies, different everything, sure, right? Sure. Old strategies that used to work. And I would have like none of them if I waited for him to write content or approve content. Not that right. it has to be ethical, but you have to figure out in each area, what is it? It's that so true. It, it's so true. So we went at Scorpion from primarily attorneys into home services. And you're right. I mean, like those two types of businesses had a similar local marketing problem, but what they cared about were very different things. And even like, so we touched, we, we went into dentistry and aesthetics a little bit as well. And, I, and the same exact experience that you said is like, we, we went in thinking, well, you know, you're, you're a local business and you want leads, but that wasn't their primary concern. Their primary concern, exactly, our experience was the same, which is that they, they cared about how the site looked. Right. Like, and look, and thankfully for you at Scorpion, you know, love or hate Scorpion, they made beautiful sites. So at least you got that going for you. Right. Yeah. So that yeah. was, but, it, but it's, uh, you know, when I look at the, um, when, I, when I look back, uh, it is, I, you know, as my ego would say, hey, if I can figure out legal SEO, I, you know, you're telling me that this like HVAC guy shouldn't be thankful to have me. doesn't work like that. And that's why the niche concept that if you go in and you know that you're the, you know, pediatric dental specialist, 
that you're going to be able to connect with people and that those guys know, you know, that you have to be able to show touchy feely that the parents are going to be warm, welcome, then you're not selling, yeah. you're selling to the parents for the kid, whatever it is, you know, if you can get to the point where you speak their language, and that's what I've seen at trade shows, where when I go to a trade show in legal, I come with great, you know, with great gravitas, you know, as I look at other niches and I see, I've never been to a, you know, a, an aesthetics conference. We, and I'd be like a fish out of water there. I tried to get on a phone call with our, our, our head of sales for, for that division, you know, thinking that they'd be lucky to speak to me and that these people could care less what I had to say. And it's crazy. I mean, it makes no sense. You, you know, it's like saying, hey, you know, I'm not going to listen to uh, Tiger Woods about training. You know, he figured out how to get pretty good at a sport. Not that he can, like, tell you how to shoot baskets, but he knows how to compete, how to deal with pressure, how to train. And so, but at the same time, it, it, is, it is definitely true that you speaking to a market and I think that it also helps on a psychological basis. You know, I see this at my law firm. I have multiple verticals, but each one is a vertical unto itself. We do Personal PI, injury, criminal defense, criminal defense right, family, family law. And it's yeah. not like I very early on, our lawyers don't dabble. For the most part, our staff doesn't dabble. It's yeah. so it's not that, and this may be less popular to, to the narrative. Over time, I don't think it's impossible to have multiple niches it's just if you go, if you're a master of everything, it's very, very difficult to gain that credibility. And the good news is anybody's a potential client, but I find that most people, whether it be law or marketing, in the B2C space specifically, that those, that those industry, that it's true anywhere, like B2B industry knowledge means a lot, but that the way that you scale it, the fact that you're not your team, when you think about people, right? Let's say you're, you're magical and you could go and do a dentist one day, a lawyer the next day. All of that will work for your first 10 clients. But if you have people doing it, the fact that they're going dental, dental, dental is going to make them much more efficient. They are going to learn the process and the nuances much more quickly because while you may be bright enough, you meaning you and your listeners who are listening, may be bright enough to be able to pivot as you set up those systems, the systems don't work when there's tons and tons of variables. That's right. Could you take us back to the early days of Blue Shark and when you were just starting to build the agency, because you were working as the attorney at the firm, like how was this a separate business unit was it a separate company. Like, how did you manage the sort of the? Sure, I it, mine was essentially the in-house team became yeah. the agency. So it was first just price benefits, and we added clients in. Okay, um, and then we went from the basement of the law firm to an apartment to an office. You know, we're one of those comp startups that's every two to three years, whenever the sublet's over, move to a new yeah. location. You're speaking to me from a clubhouse in uh, the hippest uh, gentrified area, gentrifying area of DC, Union Market. And until they decide to knock our building down, we have this awesome space. <laughs> so as you were building the, the, the practice, the marketing practice back then, how would you go out and get more attorney clients? Like, well, at first it was like? people's sort of personal Rolodex and people you knew. I you know, started out, there are a ton of conferences in my space, and I would go, and I was pretty cheap, and I didn't love paying the $1,000 to attend the conferences, and I found out if you spoke, you went for free. So uh -huh. I was speaking at these conferences just because I was frugal, 
and everybody else was selling something. So I was like, hey, if they're selling something, I should sell something. Um, and, you know, to me, it, there are many different ways. And look, I take Scorpion as a unicorn in the space that figured out how to scale an outbound sales team. Nobody really in the space has done take, you know, outside of Scorpion has scaled that way. And I'll put that to a side for a second. But the reason, one of the reasons that niching is so powerful is that you can go to places, meet people and get to know them, not just over one conference. It's not like you can go to one conference and sign up 50 clients, but I look at the conference world like dating. You go on a first date, maybe you get a, you get a bite to eat. Great. By the, by the second time you go to a conference, it's a long lost friend. You're like, oh my God, this is the conference analogy, which is like somebody's like, oh, it's so good to see you again. And by the third one, by conference standards, you're now long lost friends that are, that are reunited. Family. Yeah, Family. exactly. And mm -hmm. there's an entire world. So there are circuits in different industries that go around to these different events. And that what, what, I, what I've seen in life, I mean, for me, I have the benefit that I sort of double dip. I may meet yeah. somebody and I'm sort of ADHD, so maybe they're a client, maybe they're going to be a law firm client, or maybe it's just going to be a buddy. And, you know, I've built this sort of like world that I enjoy because I always say people do what they like. If you hate people, I say hate people is a strong term, but if you're an introvert that you don't want to be at cocktail parties, this model is probably not going to work for you and you better yeah. figure out how to scale outbound sales quickly because I was lucky enough that I love talking to people and got to know people. And if you are able to show your fate, your mug at multiple conferences, one after another, you know, that shows that you are, you know, that you're not fly, you know, you're not disappearing overnight. There are plenty of people that show up to a legal conference as I'm sure everything else. So going to one and eh, like single date, not getting you very far, you know, you yeah. get to three dates, you know, the three date rule, if you, you know, back to my single days, there's something there. And that once there's something there, you can do great damage in that, you know, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. And look, there are people, I look at you, I can tell talking to you here, you're one of these guys that if I met you for 10 minutes, we would be business friends. Like we would connect. Yeah. I could see you doing real damage at a bar back in the day. And that, you know, you, they're, 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 but that gets you so far and it's just you. And so the question is, as you want to scale beyond you, can you and there's a whole world that it's kind of funny because but the law firms by definition are much more dysfunctional their lawyers their legacy issues what i've loved about the agency is it's much more pure much more buy-in we have people it wasn't from day one but over the first and let's say it takes about a four-year cycle before you figure out who you are what you need and frankly have enough gumption to attract the right people and not that you can't stumble into good people early on and we did and those people are now managers in our organization there's been plenty of early turnover that i wouldn't be where i was if we hadn't gotten those people out of the way and brought in a team that really buys in at this point you know with core values and we're now on eos and all these different components you're jamming yeah. and it becomes more self-selecting who ends up joining you and i think you have much more stickiness then when you first start out and you're trying to figure out where you're going, it's much more haphazard. At what point in the company's history did you hire your first salesperson? It's a great question. And there's things that, so we ended up having sales assistants 
that would come and go, partially because they had to work with me. And then eventually we ended up, I'd say three years in, taking somebody out of analytics who I took to a conference with me and she was smitten and she became our top evangelist. We call her chief strategy officer, but she is essentially our first true person that could go on the road and sign people up that's not me. And that's that's a whole nother sales people. I, there are things I could tell you I have figured out and cracked that nut. I have a team, sales team of you know eight, eight or nine people. I still haven't cracked that nut. Hiring sales is not for the faint of heart. No, <laughs> nor is managing them. How did content marketing play a role in your growth? I know you have two podcasts. I know you've contributed a, a chapter in a book a couple of years ago. You've obviously been doing a lot of content. Like what? What type of content did you do early days? And funny, how did that the, the SEO in me thought you were going off with how do we build a content team, which is you know one of the hardest things to do in SEO. Period. Okay. But you know, I think that each of these things is a layer, and I enjoy like my SEO podcasts that I'd love to have you on. That that is the SEO Insider was just basically a way to network with other industry insiders, bring people on. If I called. You know, if you call me up and say, hey, Seth, let's chit chat, might happen, might not happen. But you say, hey, come on my podcast. And all of a sudden we spend this great time together. So the idea that I could get, you know, people that otherwise were the glitterati of, of SEO and could come on my podcast, some of those have ended up reciprocating with speaking opportunities, with just emails from time to time with like tips or tricks, with networking, with, you know, it's built a greater network. So again, there are a thousand things that we need to do, but I would argue that if you are niching, there are two things that I love about some version of a podcast. Okay. The first is that it allows you to network with people that otherwise you just wouldn't get that time with. It's like golf. You get four hours with somebody. Here you get 30 to 45 minutes. They get to talk about themselves. People like talking about themselves, and that's a really good thing. But the second piece is... I think it could be used as a business development Trojan horse, where if you're doing something all on whatever it is, plumbing, roofing, putting people on your podcast as a way, whether it's an existing client, whether it's a prospective client, whether it's somebody in the industry that people know, like, and trust that's being associated with you, that's really valuable. Old school, people used to do breakfast meetings in yeah. town, and it was amazing because you would basically have people give them breakfast paid by a sponsor and then you would bring if you were a b2b player my corporate lawyer friends would bring who they wanted to do business with as the speaker and then all of a sudden the speaker got to come they had an audience you as the host got time with your speaker i think that the podcasts have allowed you virtually to do a lot of that and whether it's upstream where you get to see somebody who's been inside the belly of the largest outbound sales organization in the world in our world or whether it's you know the ability to think that the person who you're who you're putting on could either be do, do business with you or be a referral source those things are extremely powerful and i think that if you look at it super maniacally like that's my only reason for doing it it will come through but if you genuinely enjoy people and enjoy talking to them that then it then it becomes more of a joy and hopefully the other person feels it the same way and it becomes a positive touch point and again like a conference you go to one conference the odds of it going anywhere or anywhere what, what's going to come from this 
Is it possible that some person is going to reach out to me and say, hey, I, I, I think I'm, I, you know, I got a small thing going. I'd love to roll up into what you're doing. There's so many different permutations yeah. out there that every time you put yourself out there, it's just one more opportunity for that additional touch point that will hopefully pay dividends later. Well, I'll tell you, I'm already going to ask you after this uh, interview if you will be willing to let me quote you in my, in my upcoming book. So we can talk about that well, later. It would be an honor. <laughs> Outside of so podcasting is very, very powerful. I agree for all, for all the reasons that, that you said. And, and I'm a big proponent of the relationship side, right? So building up relationships within an existing industry that maybe you're a newcomer, you can get direct access to some of the people who have a lot of influence rather quickly. It also doesn't take that long to break into different industries, more in others than some more than others. But outside of the super developed ones, you know, it is, it is amazing and that if you show up, continue to show up, damage that can be done. Exactly. And to your earlier point, many agencies don't think of it as a long game. They think, I'm going to go to a conference. If I get a bunch of leads, maybe I'll go next year. It's that, that, that's not necessarily the right mindset. It's really, yeah, I mean, look, committed it, to this industry, you know. Correct. And I see it now. I'll give you an example. So even though there are people, yeah. with, one guy within my world who niches only to PI lawyers, we've done multiple yeah. B2C lawyers, PI, criminal and uh, family. And we'd never attended a family law conference until recently. Yeah. And we went to the first one. It was good. And a friend of mine happens. To, I wasn't there, but a friend of mine is like the big maca. She's been going for years. She's like the queen of the conference. And she introduced my people around. It was great. But yeah. you know, are we, are we going to close any room? Maybe, probably not. If we do, that's benefit, yeah. out of benefit. But there are times where you have to go in. I saw this, for example, in legal. We were, we were East Coast centric. Most of our clients were East Coast. We were known on the East Coast. You know, and like, it's funny because they talk about rap, you know, East versus West. There was a thing like, there is a thing like that in legal. And it wasn't until we put butts on a plane and got ourselves to West Coast conferences that we got West Coast clients and we got a buzz out there and it became a thing. But it's like, you know, if you're willing to, to you know, get on a plane and go, it's amazing what could happen. But if you're looking at what is my, if you, I think that ideally you want to be look at, is it fruitful? You know, yeah. is are are people there using somebody else that could be using you? Where most of my industries are pretty developed, where it's not like somebody's you know not having a web person that they're coming from somewhere else. And so I think part of it is is there a market for it and being smart about it? Because if there is, then it's just a question of people getting to know you. Hey, it's Corey. Almost every day, I talk with agency owners who are frustrated with getting their outbound program off the ground. The truth is, too many agencies are too dependent on inbounds and referrals to grow their business. We all know that it's getting harder and harder to generate inbounds and that it's just not a sustainable way to grow your business. I'd like to give you the six secrets for driving consistent ROI from your outbound that I learned as Scorpion's chief marketing officer, where we doubled the business from 20 million to 40 million just by adding outbound to an existing inbound only program. It's a free six day email course that will transform your outbound from broken to consistently driving new sales opportunities. You could sign up and get the first secret right now by going to get outboundroi.com 
That's getoutboundroi.com. Now back to the show. Yeah. Are there any suggestions or ideas that come to mind when it comes to building trust within a vertical market? Let's say you're an outsider and you're trying to really build trust. You want to do whatever you can to short circuit or shorten the time frame to become more of a, of a known factor in that industry, get some sort of build a, build a reputation for yourself. What, what are some good ways to do that in addition to conferences and podcasts? Well, I mean, okay. So, and I, I think as you're saying, it's multiple touch points. It could be, for example, social media marketing. It doesn't take yeah. a hell of a lot to target an audience with your, with your message. And so, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I, I became, I, I formed a niche myself. I am now the moderator of legal conferences and panels. If there's a legal panel at a, if there's a panel at a legal conference, 50-50 chance I'll be invited if it has anything to do with, with growth or marketing to help lead that panel. Some of them are on digital marketing, which is awesome, and some of them are on nothing to do with anything I make money on, like intake. And as, yeah. as that visibility grew, during COVID, the numbers on the podcast and the webinars were insane and off the charts. You put a webinar out there, people, we did a series on PPP loans and had 2,000 people live in a legal, yeah. you know, webinar. That's never happened before in the history of the world. Amazing. Right, amazing. Went back to 200 after COVID. But that, all of that said, when I, when I, when the COVID sort of ended, we went back to a conference, people, I felt like a celebrity for a minute in the sense that so many people had seen me over and over again. And look, that's an extreme example, but it shows you the power of this. So what are the things you can do? Co-branded webinars with somebody in a related industry, related technology. Let's say somebody's doing, you know, intake technology and you're doing marketing, doing one where you share it to both your lists. Each of these are basic. They may get 70 to 100 people on them. Is, are you going to sign a single person from it? No, but you got your, you know, you have ideally over time exhibiting at conferences. You have a podcast. Yeah. I'm not presuming that you're going to be so good you're invited to speak. That's like the, the ultimate, right? But the sure. things you control, right, are you can put out content. You can you can buy lists and make sure that you're targeting the people that you want to be targeted for. Now, is that alone going to do it? No, but each of those are touch points so that when you finally go to a conference and you meet somebody, hopefully they have a sense of who you are and that they've yeah. seen you and they have an, you know, a like the name means something. And if you could just, if it's in the back of their mind, that's incredibly powerful that it's not the first time they've met you. When somebody, oh, I know who you are. That goes a long way and it doesn't happen overnight, but it's definitely something to aspire to. I love that. You mentioned Outbound. Have you guys dabbled in Outbound? Has that channel worked at all for you guys? I, I, I would say that I am not the poster child for that. I have tried. We've had limited successes here and there, but I, I, I bow to the masters with that. You know, uh, one of our, our rocks is to like improve Outbound. And, you know, it's like... I tell a story, I don't want to tell the whole story here, but a neighbor looked over my fence and said, oh, wow, your grass is so beautiful. And mine was like crabgrass because my kids would rip out all the grass. And hers, her father-in-law, built this beautiful lawn. And I'm like, literally, lady, you're the living embodiment of the grass is always greener. So I'm very, very blessed that our inbound <laughs> is extremely strong. Our brand for the Blue Shark is awesome. And that yeah. we get tons of referrals from clients, from friends, yada, yada. That said, I, I'm going to have to listen to your podcast to figure out how to crack it. <laughs> Uh, it took us a long time to figure it out as well, as you can imagine. Let's talk, to, talk about hiring. So how important is it for you to hire 
employees for your agency who have a legal background? Oh, I'd say I don't think anybody does other than the only people that have any lawyer experience uh, as employees that coming in were our contract writers because we want them to have, yeah. be able to understand the subject matter. And I yeah. believe my, my personal, and hopefully this will help somebody listening, I do not believe in hiring the writers full time. I have been burnt too many times. Uh, I hope this doesn't anger anybody, but the people who sit in a room and write all day, every day have very often a, a fuse that pops. And I would like to not, you know, I would love to give them as much work as they want, pay them well. And if they don't want to write anymore, that's great. I don't need a last day lunch and everything else. Yeah. They can go and do whatever they want. But I want that, I, that that's a piece that, that I, a lesson that I learned that, well, you, you need in-house editors over time and you need, optimizers but the actual writing i am not a fan of handling within the office all of that said hiring in general if that's your question you know is one of those things that we could spend an entire podcast on i'm sure you know, yeah but it's i think it's figuring out you know piece by piece how to you know when you start out you got nothing but you it's hard for me to remember those days i started with a co-pilot i think that's pretty important that if you really want to scale, that having somebody beyond yourself with you yeah. is important. I, I, so when I started the agency, I had an in-house team. And yeah. part of the reason I started it is every two years I had a guy, one two-year period it was a woman, but it was like they'd stay for two years and they'd move on to do something else. And I realized it was good because I got cheap labor for the next person, but it became old. You know, in your 30s, that's fine. But when I hit my 40s, I was like, this isn't fun anymore. And I would end up hiring a, a you know I wanted, I wanted opportunity that's where the agency came in but the sooner that you can get stuff off your plate once you have any meaningful revenue you know that to me it's that hustle but you know if you're willing not to if you're allowed to if you want to put money back into the company not worry about your margins for a minute you know and allow yourself to allow to get that team that team will allow you to grow it's easier advice to give than to take but sure. I know that if you really want to produce quality work at volume, obviously if you know clients, that's silly, but as clients are coming in, making sure that you are staffed for delivery. I, and again, there's an entire world that I haven't played in that maybe some of your listeners do as far as you outsource this, 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 and this. And that's awesome The people in law firms that do that. But I think to really scale, my, my humble opinion is you want to control those pieces and not have it just, you know, replicating somebody I've never white labeled out because I don't love that experience. I know sure. there are plenty of people that make a lot of money doing it and that's not to say they shouldn't, but my feeling is to really scale, you need to get beyond that. Yeah. I, I, I share that belief. It makes me think about, you know, mar sales and marketing, like you, you to, to really grow a, a firm, you need to figure out how to, to, to do that in-house so that you own that IP and you own that process and you get better over time. What are you, so give me your, you know, for, for this, is just, I, I poo-pooed, not poo-pooed, but showed my lack. What would be your top three pieces of advice you give to people for building that outbound sales team? Because that is, is not for the faint of heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the, a big challenge I see a lot of agencies do is that they outsource the, the, the very fundamental thing as it relates to going outbound, which is building the list. So let's just use the context of personal injury attorney. You could, or one could go out and hire some third-party cold call company or third-party 
cold email or cold LinkedIn party who are going to come to you and say, hey, we have a list. We can generate a list on Apollo or on one of these platforms. We'll start just kind of what they call spam your TAM, right? Which is just sending out messages and seeing what comes back, okay? So the number one thing that, that we did at Scorpion and that I, that I advise my clients on is actually going out and developing the list in-house. And it doesn't mean you get 100% of all the personal injury attorneys in the U.S., you focus on sort of the Pareto principle, the 80-20. You focus on the 20% of the personal injury attorneys in the largest markets that align with, let's say, if you're focused on larger law firms, focus on building a list of those businesses. You, you, get, you get the top 10 TV spends in every market. Done. There you go. Done. And then you focus on those exclusively through in-house outreach. That's personalized. That's consistent. Another big thing that really worked for us at Scorpion, you're probably familiar, is that we sent a lot of gifts in the mail. As a first touch, we would, this, this law firm wouldn't know who we were. We'd send them a good box of cookies or a video brochure or one of these things that helped to create more of a warm outreach for the sales team versus a pure cold call from, you know, uh, you know anyone who's doing a cold email or cold, cold phone call. It's so easy to ignore that. But if you receive an amazing gift, it's much more difficult to, to, to ignore the incoming calls. You want to at least talk to them, acknowledge the gift, and then see where it goes. Or well, some percentage of people will. Some percentage, and it's not 100% by any stretch, no, right? No, 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 no. No, 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 I'm saying this with love. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, look, I've, yeah. I've played around with it. You know, you're wearing your yeah. earpods. I, I've yeah. one agency that's played around with that, and I yeah. would do it. I just, it, it, it's like anything else. It's a, I always say this to people, people are like, it's a whole different business. And again, it's yeah. not it's good or bad. It's if a different mindset. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, a different mindset. mindset. Yeah, it's a skill set. The other, the yeah. one last point yeah. on this is that, it requires, same thing as you were saying about the conferences and the podcast, it requires a long period of time. You need, you need to keep that person on your list and send them a gift every 90 days until you get them on the phone, right? And along the way, you're building up all this reciprocity and awareness that eventually, if they are a large law firm, you know they have a budget, you know they have a need, and that they're going to be in the market at some point over a three-year period, if you market to them, you're going to get on a phone call with them. Right. And that's kind of the mindset is that we're going to keep investing in this one relationship, this one potential relationship over three years. We know we'll get them. It's just a matter of time. Right. If you get if you get one out of four of the people yeah. on the phone yeah. and then one out of five of those convert, it's still exactly. cost effective. I get it. it, it um, is, yeah. One of the things that I struggle with, I'm curious how you guys dealt with it at Scorpion yeah. or in other places where you've done outbound sure. is that every look. You speak truth. Anybody listening? There are a lot of people out there saying a lot of things. What you just said, I know works. I've been the recipient of it. I know we got those gifts on a regular basis until somebody put us on a blacklist because I market yeah. to my lawyers independently. But yeah. my question to you is, I find that the ethos of the outbound salesperson, outbound salesperson is very different than almost every other employee that I've seen across two businesses. And, you know, we all talk about culture and core values. I find that the outbound salesperson very often is a different breed. How did, did, did those two worlds mix? I'm talking about prospectors slash cold callers versus yeah. people that went to conferences and did those things. How did you mix that with the thousand employees? Because that, those aren't easy people to mix in. Yeah. So the, the sales team is definitely a different culture, different group dynamic than 
people on my team, the marketing team, or the people on the client services, you know, same, same is true across the org. And so they definitely had a, a separate kind of culture that was very performance driven. They were very well compensated based on their performance. And they also had a lot of what I consider to be very high quality resources that helped them to coach them up and to help, you know, you, know, you invest in, it wasn't just them the, the, the feet of the person doing it, but it was the pod with the managers. That oh, was the manager, we had sales consultants, coaches, they would, as a benefit, they would go to the conferences because they were, the way that we had our sales team set up is that they were based on practice area, personal injury, as an example, and a certain geography. So let's say West Coast. And so they'd be prospecting into the same law firms over a, a number of years. They'd also go to the conferences and they'd go get a drink with them, right? And go maybe have a dinner or have an experience with them. And so as a result of that, uh, you, you got to see, you start to see results. But I think I'll speak to Scorpion specifically. It's a very performance-driven, sales-driven organization. And so that was not a very foreign kind of energy in the company. It was always... So it was built like to, that. And it's hard, it and was I, built like that. Like, yeah. I have this amazing culture and this team that would yeah. die for me and fights like crazy, but it's hard yeah. to comport that with it. And that that's one of the... Uh, I think it's, you know... Yes. Yeah. I would say the other, the other thing that... You know, when I arrived at, at the agency back in 2015, it was there was eight sellers. They subsisted 100% on inbounds. They drove really nice cars and they had, you know, they made a lot of money. It was a good life. The challenge was, is that we weren't going to be able to hit our revenue goals. The founder, Rustin, he really wanted to grow the company. And so we had to introduce outbound because you can only, you know, there's a limited supply of attorneys in the U.S. who are looking to you know, change their their marketing or their website vendor, and so as a result of that, we had to go we had to go outbound. So we had to introduce this whole new culture, and the way that we did that was we brought in a really amazing sales trainer, but then also Rustin, Jamie Adams, the the folks who were, who were sort of the the leadership team then and now would actually be in the trenches with the sales team, doing the cold calls, you know, following up on these gifts and really being a part of that process. And that really helped to build the confidence over time. That's awesome. What did you find? Because you've tried a lot of different incentive for the salespeople. You know, yeah. I, I, you mentioned fine law at the beginning. And yeah. they, they historically paid a huge percentage yeah. of revenue, particularly first year revenue, to salespeople. What, what, where did you find the happy medium? I don't think anybody pays more than those guys as far as a percentage. How did you, because this is something that young people starting, like you only get so much money in, you're like, okay, sure. well, off the top, all this money is going to our sales guy. Obviously, we wouldn't have the business without them. But where did, you, where, where did you find the sweet spot where you were paying enough that you kept people incentivized, but not so much that you killed your margins? So being a salesperson, I'd say at Scorpion specifically, is a pretty good deal because you had a lot of support. You would have these marketing team would send you to conferences. They'd send out these gifts to your leads. And it was a lot of, a lot of support. That said, the compensation, I'll speak generally, but it was fairly, I, I consider it to be fairly standard. So uh, out of 100% of their on-target earnings, half of that would be salary. The other half would be performance-based. And so they were provided with inbounds as well as they had an expectation to go outbound. And so that they had to make up did you have a target for outbound versus inbound or were they just one big lump? Just one big lump. But the sales team was big enough that they no one seller could live on inbounds and still hit their quota. So giving so like looking at somebody who's starting here, 
you know, somebody has an agent, they're hiring their first salesperson. What would you set a target? Understanding that you guys had some advantages with brand, good and bad, yeah. and with yeah. gifts yeah, yeah. and with yeah, we, we were we were a known no, brand in, in the so space. What would, you, yeah. what would you what would somebody have as a target generically, just an order of magnitude? Yeah, I mean, I think I like the idea of fifty percent of your comp is in salary, and the other fifty percent is performance based. And what that is is based, you know, the performance piece is based on what their reasonable quota is, how many deals they need to close per month, two to three, maybe, maybe four to start out. And you'd have to kind of back into the figure of, of okay, well, if I want to compensate a junior salesperson on target earnings, maybe seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year, half of that would come in through salary, the other half would be, you know, sort of a ramp up of a, of a quota that they would have an expectation of closing X amount of business over. X amount of time that would compensate them the rest of the through the, the way. It's awesome. No, it's exciting. It's the path not traveled. You know, you, yeah. you do things different ways, and uh, it, I don't think I'm going to magically turn into a, a sales machine. Were there any <laughs> types of people that you love for that role? Were you hiring recent yeah. college grads? Were you hiring people that sold cars? Was there any sort of yeah. telltale of what might make a decent Scorpion salesperson? So interestingly, one of the things we learned is that someone with a background in, let's say, home services, maybe owned a home service business, became a scorpion seller in home services. They were much more productive than someone who's just, you know, a junior guy who didn't know, you know anything about H- Hence your question before about like coming yeah. out of the space. Yeah, exactly. So, so having specific experience in the space, whether it be a seller at another agency with, with a Rolodex of, of clients or someone just familiar with the space. But ultimately, I think it depends on the, where the life cycle of the agency is. The reason why I say that is that most agencies don't have a sales development sort of resource or you know, a very sophisticated you know, sales coach or trainer there to help bring up junior people. In that case, it maybe makes more sense to just find someone who's been selling into that vertical for a while, basically bring them over. When it comes to scaling up a sales team, you need to hire junior people and that requires having a really strong onboarding and training and coaching and sort of development process in place for that to really work. No, I mean, to your credit, I feel it's very similar what you see in some of the insurance syndicates. If you look at the first guy at Undercover, uh, you know, billionaire, you know, when you look at the people that have scaled insurance companies, I feel like you took that playbook and turned it to to internet marketing. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. Yeah. Um, curious about your your experience with sales with regard to, you know, anything you're, you're comfortable sharing with regard to like the, you mentioned you have an eight person team. Is it mostly mostly inbounds and they're just qualifying? Correct. We have, we have an outbound, uh, you know, asset that does that. I've, I've tried and lost money on... Uh, Third-party agencies have never yeah. found, you know, never found that to work. I've also learned something, which is even different between Scorpion and Blue Shark. So we are SEO first, and you know, SEO and local first, with paid second. Arguably, Scorpion was paid first, you know, from a product perspective. From a product perspective, right? Yeah, yeah. And you know, not making a value judgment either way. I would argue, from what I've learned, that the paid sale is a is a sale that more people can grasp more easily yeah. and that when i took people and i think maybe i don't i don't know if i've ever dealt with anybody post scorpion i've definitely dealt with people post uh, fine law 
that the people that we saw that the idea of selling a directory or selling paid search was significantly easier, not saying that it's easy, but easier than the SEO sale. And that's one of the things that we have seen that it is one thing to call somebody up and say, hey, give me $2,000 a month and I'm going to get you X number of phone calls. And you can yeah. sort of know what you're dealing with in a given market to, hey, you know, give me X amount of money and I'm not going to show you anything for nine months. Yeah. That is a much harder sale. That's a tough sale. Yeah. Right. Especially for a small law firm. Correct. And we figured stuff out. We have now entry products. We now, you know, yeah. add PPC into these things. There's all sorts of places. All that stuff, but if yeah. you leave non-PPC, it's a more intellectualized sale. It is. Which is, it is. why, yeah. which again, why I'm not a billion dollar organization. At the same time, you know, we've, you know, sticky clients that love what we do because when it works and you even somebody who's a, a paid first person, yeah. as great as paid may be, there's a, you know, Google, you may be the best paid person on the planet. There's only a limited ROI that Google will let you get. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the market can go against you. Like, <laughs> you know, you have no, we have no control over cost per clicks and, and, uh, right. you know, and, the, and, right. and so yeah. that has to us made it much harder. So as, again, let's go back to your audience for a minute, away from our personal uh, love fest <laughs> here, which would be, you know, when you're doing this, knowing what your widget is, because the more sophisticated the widget, the harder the sale process is compared to. So for me, I, I believe it's an extra touch point or two for us to sell because yeah. we were selling something that took a leap of faith versus hey, we're going to build a site and within 30 days, you're going to have phone calls with your budget. And as you know, there's a dis distinction between paid and organic in the sense that, yes, the best answer is both. I'm not somebody who's like paid sucks, organic's great. I'm like, I love both. But when you're dealing with a client with limited resources, where do you start? And if you can get through that pain, I know that there's ROI that can be achieved on the other end. That's great, yeah. but that's a very hard concept to get through on the phone. When I listen to some of the, the yeah. you know, people, if you listen to any of the legendary stuff from our, our friend from uh, Wolf of Wall Street, he's not doing. He's like, I'm going to make you money right now. It's a dream. Right. It's there. It's a compelling sell. I think you know the challenge that that we we faced and other agencies faced when they are when they are focused on an SEO based contract or a SEO based product, at least as the cornerstone product, that negotiating contract length becomes challenging because the client doesn't want to agree to 12 months or 24 months because there's a lot of risk in that. But the agency needs enough runway to be able to provide results and show well, efficacy. It's funny you right? say it. So we, we never went with, on our higher dollar SEO contracts, we've never done a contract length. We asked for a 16 day out, but that's, that's about it. And one of the things that that's been a good selling point, so that helps our salespeople, right? Because we're putting, we're not saying you have to stay with us for a length of time, but that's what we all, part of the reason we, I sort of look at it like if you're, if you, if somebody leaves after, we never have people leave after three or four months. I say never, like once in the history of the company, but that, that is much less of a fear in the sense that you get your money for those three months, you're just selling a website, God bless, go off and do what you want. And as you know, an unhappy lawyer locked into a contract isn't really a fun place to be anyway. <laughs> Absolutely not. And uh, yeah, uh, and 
She's like, on that, I'm going to wrap this up. Yeah, well, I was going to say, yeah. It brings you back to PTSD from the days of the Exactly. So um, kind of as, as we wrap up here, I wanted to ask just two, two more sort of final questions. As having been down this road now for a while, specifically on the agency side, what advice would you have to maybe an agency owner that's taken more of a generalized approach to their, their market? They want to they wanna take a verticalized approach. They've been listening to our conversation. Any, any sort of parting advice you would have for them as they consider this vertical approach? I mean... Look, there's no one size fits all. I think long term, most people will end up with, especially if you're with exceptions, most people will end up with some sort of a niche. It may be defined differently. You know, it may be I have friends in DC that do, you know, mid size, mid to larger size organization web rebuilds, and they're fifty to eighty thousand dollars, and they churn them. And even though it's not industry specific, it's it's widgetized. The, the quicker you widgetize what you're doing, the more money you'll make. If you're doing PPC for one person, social for the next, and SEO for the third, like it gets you through the day, it gets you some revenue. I think the only benefit to that is you can see what you like to do, what's resonating. But I think in order to get margins, because at some point you're going to go from, I have a business to what are my margins? What am I taking home? And I think that the sooner that you get to some sort of systemizable process, the, the better you will be. That doesn't mean you can't have more than one over time, but it means that the sooner that it's not just any, like for lawyers, there are people like anybody who knocks on the door is my client. Those guys generally don't make the same money as somebody yeah. who says, this is my vertical, I'm known for it. You go to Starbucks because there's coffee. You know, they may sell books and some other stuff there, but you're there for a thing. And that the sooner that people associate you with that, the better. That's awesome, Seth. One last question. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that, by the way. What's your motivation? What is my motivation? I, you know, I enjoy what I'm doing. I love building stuff. And I've been very blessed that, you know, you know, there's one of those things that like not, it's, you know, like child rearing, you know, bigger kids, bigger problems. I thought when I had like little toddlers, I was at the, it was the worst ever. And now I have kids <laughs> who are screwing up in school and doing all sorts of terrible stuff. I'm getting bad phone calls. And so, but what I would say is that with scale, I've been able to, you know, I didn't understand at the time, but I've been able to be more of the emit, to be more of the entrepreneur who works yeah. on the business, not in the business. And so I feel like, the, that, that is what drives me is to get to the point where I'm able to tinker with and build things rather than be part of the production of it myself. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. If, uh, if folks want to reach out to you and get connected with you, what's a, what's a good I'm, way for I'm them a to pretty do that? easy guy to find. I'm Seth, uh, Seth J. Price on socials, um, uh, Seth at Blue Shark Digital, no E, Seth at BlueSharkDigital.com. But uh, I'm pretty accessible. You know, you, you pick up the phone and say, hey, you want to do this? I'm, I'm in. So if there is anybody in your audience, I say this because nobody will actually call me. But if any, <laughs> I would tell my cell phone, right? It's 347-661-9999. And if anybody's listening actually has a question, call or text me. I challenge you. And it is unbelievable how many people are out there that if you did that to who are upstream from where you are, that would help you out and how few people actually do it. That's true. That's true. Well, thank you for your, uh, your generosity and your time today, Seth. It's been Absolutely. a great conversation. I appreciate that. That's awesome. Thanks so much for having me. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm Corey Quinn, and I hope you join me again next time for the Vertical Go-To-Market Podcast. If you receive value from the show, I would love a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, and we'll see you soon.